hello hello welcome back to another edition of money for nothing um penny fractions for nothing i'm here with david turner and this is the second edition of uh, this kind of new format that we're doing where uh saxon david and i were today we are sadly minus saxon who is in paris living a better life i guess where we're, yeah, we're just in kind of a, a kind of more a loose, free flowing discussion of of some of the some of the uh, various stories that have been bubbling up, and 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 today we're actually going to be kind of talking through um, the subject of a recent edition of David's uh, newsletter, Penny Fractions, which you should read if you have not, um, about kind of like the trials and tribulations of one Patreon. Um, so yeah, so maybe David kick it off and, um, what's going down in, in the, the, the land of people supporting each other to make content that they love in a community, dude. And, and why you're against that. Tell, tell the people why you're against community. I mean, community, I I'm very against it. Yeah, no. So very recently I did a, I did my newsletter on Patreon as Sam was just sort of talking about the reason I was very curious about Patreon. And I guess for a little bit of context in the music and in looking at the music industry side in particular is because Patreon has been around for nearly a decade. It was started by um, Jack Conte. Conte, I think is how you pronounce Conte? that. Conte. He's got, a little e- oh. He's got a little thing at the top, right? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, so you may remember him from the YouTube sensation Pomplamoose, which I'm not 1000% sure I'm pronouncing right. But if I'm not, please do correct me. Sorry, do that again. I fucked up. Oh, okay. So um, he's of the YouTube act um, Pomplamoose, who you may remember from many YouTube covers in the early 2010s, which I'll be very honest. You may also remember Carmen, who also did a lot of YouTube covers. Do you not? Sam is shaking his head. He does not remember the YouTube covers era. Yeah, I have no memory of that at at they just covered songs oh no yes it was like the most like early 2010s hipster looking people who would like cover rap songs and cover like things with like ukuleles and stuff like that sam is truly has no idea what i'm talking about which is blowing my mind honestly is it more like she and him or more like ratatat much more like she and him yeah, you can. Yeah, just imagine that. So that's the guy who got, who gave us Patreon. And so, yeah, the point of my newsletter um, was that I kind of wanted to dig a little bit into Patreon because that was started about a decade ago. And when it was sort of first came out, people were really excited by it because all of a sudden your favorite creators on YouTube were all of a sudden like, hey, if you give me five dollars a month, that'll me- mean I'll be able to make way more money than I'm making off the cheap YouTube ad rate, which for him and a number of early creators was really, really successful. And then as time sort of went on, Patreon became much bigger. All of a sudden, all your favorite podcasts and YouTubers are making Patreon pages. And I was like, okay, yeah, this seems like something pretty solid, pretty good. Longtime readers of, of Penny Factors will remember I had a Patreon at one point. Um, so I'm certainly not above trying to step into step into this world. But a few years ago, or at least not a few years, but at least like a couple years prior to the pandemic, I started noticing that Patreon seemed to be kind of going a little bit wayward in the sense that like the company started being like, hey, we're going to take a couple more. They're going to increase the percentage take that they had on each subscription that was that was coming from people. There was a lot of pushback from creators. And then you sort of had this slow back and forth between Patreon changing up how much how much creators would make. And then all of a sudden, how much that they were themselves as a company taking. 
And right before the pandemic, they started announcing more like collaboration with people like MIA, the lead singer of System of a Down, whose name I'm forgetting. Serge Tankian? This is... This is why Sam is also here, for to rem- remind me of early aughts bands that I can't remember. Okay, so, I mean, I'm a very... I think that Toxicity is a near-perfect album. Uh, System of Down's 2003 album, Toxicity. Uh, it, it's another conversation for another day, uh, <laughs> frankly. Um, but certainly, like, uh, <laughs> when I read <laughs> the new Jim Crow for the first time, everyone's like, oh, the prison industrial complex. It's like this new idea that just dropped. I'm like, I'm sorry. I learned about that from the first track of System of a Down's 2003 album, Toxicity, titled Prison Song, which includes a series of statistics about the levels of incarceration in the American prison system. That bit. Anyway, that's a, another, another, that's a side combo. Some of us like Pomplamoose, some of us like System of a Down. All kinds of music are represented in this conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. So Patreon all of a sudden started really leaning on trying to get more musicians to sort of prom- promote the on platform, in which in my mind seemed a little bit desperate, but, you know, it is what it is. And then the pandemic happened. And when the pandemic happened, Patreon immediately announced that they were going to be doing, like, layoffs, which... If anyone can remember the early days of the pandemic, a number of companies announced layoffs, but a lot of companies were sort of like, oh, we're freezing hiring. Obviously, no one could see beyond 24 hours, much less a couple months or a year. Um, But then something sort of great happened for Patreon, like a number of internet companies. They got a lot of users, like a lot more users started going to Patreon, subscribing, and there was a real boom, boom for the for the platform. And so in 2021, Patreon raised one hundred and fifty five million dollars, putting at a valuation of, I think, about maybe three or four billion dollars. And I'm already laughing because I think pretty quickly, I think listeners of the show kind of know the trajectory of tech over the last two years. Um, Patreon was not immune to that. They've had rounds of layoffs since then. They've really, really struggled to sort of maintain the level of sort of interest that they had at the peak of the pandemic. And I guess the reason why this was relevant to me with the music industry is because of a lot of recent conversations around super fans and like, is for us to sort of dive into sort of fandom and wanting to sort of figure out ways of better monetizing fandom. So I really wanted to look at Patreon as an example of a company that was trying to do that, succeed a little bit, but then also to me had a lot of issues and a lot of like, and raised a lot of questions about like, is this a sustainable model at all? Yeah, and no, and this idea of super fans is really interesting because um, we actually did a, an episode about it uh, six months ago or something like that. But yeah, basically this, this idea that in a relatively devalued music economy where there's enormous flows of recorded sound but relatively little amounts of money following it that actually figuring out the people who are willing to throw more cash down the rabbit hole basically whether that's um this is like the colored vinyl brigade i would say this idea that actually and i think this is, we're seeing this more broadly in the musical economy generally which is disarticulating listens that not all listens and not all listeners are worth the same and that actually in some ways as we move away from industrial mass culture right like industrial mass culture is this idea that this is the kind of Andy Warhol thing which is that my coke is as good as Elizabeth Taylor's coke right and the way to make money in a mass industrial society is to make a ton of things that are basically the same make you some profit and just sell huge numbers of those 
in a kind of a internet service economy where a lot of the, the cultural goods are endlessly replicable, they're not bringing that kind of money with them. And so as a flip side of that, you're saying we're seeing like kind of a, a disarticulation of that listenership that in fact, some of these people are worth more, but if we just cap the amount of money they can throw in at a Spotify subscription, we'll never tap that additional money. And in some ways, I mean, you could argue that that at least some of this is, I would say, is like kind of following. I mean, of course, there have always been fan clubs. There have always been deluxe bonus things. But like some of this, I feel like, is a, is a reaction to emergent conditions of social consumption, right? Like that fans were finding ways to spend money (laughs) in certain cases that like the music industry hadn't taken advantage of because they were like trying to support artists or trying to find, you know, and I think that, that in some ways, um, again, thinking about the pandemic is like all of a sudden, all of these, when everyone got a lot of free money from the government or at least a chunk of free money and that all they had were virtual things and like Amazon to spend (laughs) it on, they actually like found a lot of like new ways to spend money in online spaces that I feel like kind of um, changed the way that changed the paradigm a little bit for thinking about these kinds of interactions maybe. Yeah, no, it definitely did. And I think that's one of the things that we sort of saw during the, and this is very is parallel during the big NFT boom and sort of that sort of moment, Sam is already laughing, but it's that moment where all of a sudden people are online and they're sort of like, hey, I want to like support my favorite artists who are saying, hey, right now, I can't really make any money because I can't tour. I can't, I'm already was struggling because of streaming. I need to figure out a way to sort of, to, to more directly support them is kind of sort of the, the idea. And so with Patreon, I think what was interesting to me was just one. So I was looking at this sort of website that sort of charts the sort of enga- like the engagement on Patreon, how many subscribers there are, how many people are actually like using the platform. And what was really surprising but wasn't as surprising the more i looked at it was that basically patreon's growth stopped in early 2021 like it peaked really quickly from the well not really quickly but it peaked within a year of the pandemic onset that was basically kind of the peak of revenue that was starting to happen it may have gone up like a percent or two more over the next year or so but it really didn't it didn't really like increase much higher than that and that really struck me because that is also kind of when people started going back outside again like by the time that you get to early 2021 you're getting the like vaccine is starting to get rolled out by the time you get the summer of 2021 live shows are starting to kind of return again and a lot of that money that people had built up that they were spending only digitally all of a sudden had to compete now with live events and other ways of sort of like of of, of other ways other modes of consumption at all of a sudden and that shouldn't have been that surprising but when i was reading back through some of the coverage i was kind of surprised one that patreon raised 155 million dollars because it's kind of hard to imagine more ideal circumstances for a company like Patreon than 2020. Like, it's really hard. I mean, in the moment, I thought it was hard to imagine a better circumstance. But as time went on, it seems even more wild to think of there being a better one. And then I think for, like, musicians, I think this may have been why you saw this sort of bifurcation where, like, certain artists were, like, itching to get back on the road, itching to sort of play shows again, because they kind of sort of see that, like, yeah, I can't be sustained 
on these digital, like streaming, certainly not, but I can't even be sustained on trying to figure out like, how am I going to create content every month for my Patreon subscribers or whatever equivalent they may have been trying to go to at that particular time? Yeah, it's really interesting to me. And I don't think I realized quite that Patreon was initially a YouTube substitution because that's actually, it, it's a weird it's a weird thing to think about, right? Like that what they were competing with, what what it was designed to compete with was not how much money a musician would get from selling a record or, you know, for for uh, through a label or even like for like radio play or something like that. It's designed to replace the amount a streamer would get from monetized YouTube and that's really interesting because what it's kind of being made to do which is support replace I mean honestly like magazine subscriptions is I think that the thing that it replaces most as like a, a primary vector for the support of uh, American intellectual production first and foremost maybe music second most if that's a word um and like that's a very different it's very it's a similar it's a similar seeming situation but it's actually quite different it's quite different and, and it's interesting also to think about like that it's made to replace youtube streaming money in what 2012 when youtube streaming money works really differently yeah, no, thank you for sort of high, for like for sort of going in on that. I think we just stick on this for a second because yeah, like this is YouTube over 10 years ago where monetization on YouTube was still not as good as it is now and obviously folks still have their issues with how monetization works on YouTube and all of that kind of stuff, but it was still not that great back then and yet, and also it's kind of strange as I'm as we're talking about it, I'm thinking for YouTube, it's like, hey, those ads are being are being like are being sort of are being served, and you're supposed to replace that with people that are watching your videos, paying you money directly. It feels so. I maybe even when writing, I don't think I realize it quite much. Just feels so diametrically like opposed, or they just feel very different. And that, you, and it seems like something. It's not an and. It feels like much more an and than an either or situation, which I think is one of the things that I found always very interesting about the framing of Patreon and similar platforms like Substack or Twitch or things where it's like, hey, this can be your beginning. This can be everything. You don't need advertisers. You just need this one platform. And I'm always like, well, that's not how traditional media is normally kind of works. I didn't pay for the newspaper and get no ads. I paid for the newspaper and was inundated with advertisements. When I bought like a magazine, I didn't buy a magazine for no ads. I was, again, hit over the face with those ads. And so I always found that like one of the more bizarre things about Patreon is that it basically was like, hey, advertising isn't working. We need subscriptions. But it wasn't to say, oh, you should be figuring out how to inter like interconnect these two things together, how your audience can sort of grow, but also figure out a way to have an audience also pay you. It was, no, you need to go all in in one versus doing both at the same time. That's fascinating. Because, like, what what is that? That's It's such like a... Um... It's like a very funny, like, 
there's yeah like you're saying it's like there's two versions there's like the fallen world of like having to close a bunch of windows really quickly when you open a website (laughs) or there's like the pure untrammeled communion of soul with soul as you support she and him's new like hawaiian christmas album and like those are the two versions and no, it's, it's, it's interesting. It is. That's so weird that, like, in some ways it's hamstringing this model. And in some ways in, like, it also, I feel like, gets people maybe a little off the hook in the other model. You know what I mean? Because it's saying, like, either, you know, either it's a trash fire and, like, whatever you fucking want to do is fine because you're an, you're, you're selling views or you're like this precious little flower that must be protected. And like actually the middle version, which is like, I don't know, you're the I keep I do think that the publishing industry is an interesting set of comparisons here. Like you're the New Yorker and like you're selling specific ads against a specific market while also charging people money for the content. Because like you exist in capitalism and like what are you bet you're better than this? Like it's it's yeah, it's that's that's like a fascinating and it strikes me as this like specific utopian strand of internet infrastructure building. That's kind of like Yeah, yeah, that that's that's weird. I'm I'm trying to think through it. So one of the reasons I actually wrote this newsletter just to be very candid was that I, when I was working at SoundCloud and I was, and I was on our business strategy team, a thing that I sort of all, I kept running into was this sort of obsession with subscriptions and this idea that like what we need to eventually get to is having creators have subscriptions on their pages and them being able to like, that'll be sort of like the real unlock. It's like once we get that, the, re- the margins on that are so going to be so great. That'll be the real next level thing. At work, I always had two back of my head thoughts, or in some I articulated at work, sometimes I didn't, which is one, there are a thousand different platforms that offer subscriptions, Instagram, Tumblr, OnlyFans, like everything has a subscription page basically at this point. So I don't know what the like differentiating factor is. And then the other one was, which is again, kind of obvious, you don't really, as like the platform, unless you're a Amazon Twitch where you take like, 50% 50% of each subscription. Patreon takes, I think, around like 8%. That's pretty low. So you as the platform actually need a lot of people subscribing to actually make the numbers kind of work on that because you're not really a platform. That's not really what your business is. It's just kind of like a financial services company. Like you're just kind of skimming a very little bit off of each transaction that kind of happens there. And that's as a business model to me, very fraught because you need a lot of people to be able to sustain that. Or you run a very low or you, I guess, sorry, I guess I'm going to make the joke. Or you have Patreon, which if you go to Patreon, a Patreon page is a pretty bare bones experience. It's not super great. So maybe you actually don't need that many people to actually run a site like that. But for the amount of money and capital they ended up raising, it sort of implies that they're going to be operating at a much larger scale than they've proven to be able to sustain. Yeah. And they don't have any network effects really, which is the other thing when you're saying like, which is not even true of some of the other similar like gated and non-gated I'm thinking about like Substack where there's like some network effects in Substack like this is just purely a model for supporting creators and it doesn't really it's like 
signing up for one Patreon doesn't get you more, doesn't like introduce you to other Patreons. No, it doesn't. That's like something they've never really introduced on the platform. Like all of the network effects of Patreon happen basically because podcasts talk about each other or YouTubers mention each other. There's no other way to kind of do that, actually. Or at least the platform itself hasn't incorporated anything like that. I mean, so pulling it back to music for a second, though. I mean, it's also interesting when you're talking about kind of like the need for large groups of subscribers is that it does seem like, I mean, again, I'm like at one level very pro this idea. I mean, I was joking before about like, community um but like at one level that's great i mean and i do think that finding ways to effectively support artists that you care about is good and given the ways of the world like finding ways for the artists that you care about to effectively shake you down for money is actually like like in the real like that's actually like probably what needs to happen like no one want no one pays for, i mean some good-hearted people who are like clearly better people than i am are like i don't know dig subscribers and like support the dig but like i'm a bad person and freeload and listen to npr and don't subscribe because like frankly they don't, they don't force me effectively enough um and like I, I do think that like unfortunately people are terrible and that's kind of the way of the world um so given all of that, as much as I love this idea of community, I am kind of the, 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 the kind of positioning of this kind of interaction as a way forward for something like the music industry, where it's trying to replace not shit monetization rates at YouTube, but like the record industry of the 90s and early 2000s. I mean, it just strikes me as kind of wildly idealistic, like that that it just doesn't have the the that the the lack of kind of force in the commodity flows, like the, the lack of the ability to like actually make people pay to get access to this stuff, means that the, the voluntary nature of it means that like it doesn't seem like it it, it could create that kind of like large-scale system systemic impact and I, and I think to a certain extent it's borne out but but my sense and, and you'd probably know this better than I do David but like there's some people who do really well on patreon but like so much of the internet it's like a handful of winners and then a much longer tail of people who maybe in the aggregate make money but like distributed in such a way that like they're not it's not actually meaningful for for a huge number of them yeah no patreon is very much is very much like that where yeah there are a handful of creators basically a handful of podcasts and youtubers that make tens of thousands of dollars a month maybe there are a handful that make like thousands of dollars a month and then everything below that is hundreds and then as someone that I think probably at max made maybe 200 a month or maybe like 150 on my Patreon at one point, that the amount of work you're doing, if you were to start crunching those numbers, you're like, oh, that's not really like, that's not really worth it in the end. It's not really worth the amount of posts and stuff that you're sort of doing there. So Sam, what you were sort of saying about not being able to create some of those even cult those like cultural moments, that's the thing that I was sort of thinking about as you were saying of, 
let's go back to the 90s where you have albums that first week drop have like 500,000 sales or like a million sales or something. And you're like, oh, there's no equivalent of that on a Patreon or a subscription kind of basis. Now, very different, like a very different business model. But also because of that, they don't really create moments that people are are paying attention to like when a new like when a new album sorry when like a new podcast or a new youtube video drops on paid from like a patreon it's like oh you you're supposed to make content every week so it becomes like a little bit more i don't want to say disposable but it does sort of it there's a little bit less sort of like attention to it in a way that something i i think a lot of us probably thought about this year is when there was the barbie oppenheimer moment moments kind of in scare quotes but like yeah like they were able to build real attention and hype a lot of marketing went into it but it was because people had to go pay however 20 bucks 25 bucks to go to the movie theater put down that money in a way that if i was just going to i mean this is the whole netflix sort of like streaming thing where it's like on streaming all the stuff just kind of washes over you and patreon to me is kind of even like one step below that because it isn't even like, you don't even sort of get the same level of pomp and circumstance that Netflix has sort of given a lot of its promotion or, or some shows. Where on Patreon, it's kind of like, eh, well, I know the content's going to kind of be there. And that's just not really, it doesn't really build a lot of excitement. And to what Sam, you were saying earlier about those lack of network effects, it means if you didn't get in early, it's kind of really hard to break through now. And there isn't an infrastructure to create new stars or new anything from it in a way that, like, the record industry even today, still has a lot of infrastructure to try to build and create those new things. I mean, for one, I'm in support of the streaming economy. I'm shocked that you're not excited about Three Stacks' new flute jazz odyssey um, and can't believe that you would say people aren't excited about new albums, plus the fact it's supposed to wash over you. That's the point, dude. Expand your third fucking eye. Um about the network effects, though, <laughs> it is interesting, though, but again, thinking about these different models and why something like Patreon is kind of betwixt and between, maybe, like, thinking, okay, so YouTube, again, of course, for all these things, there's that, like, you know, Beyonceification effect, where it's like a certain number of super elite stars have huge amounts of clout and power and influence and make a huge amount of money, and then it's a pretty sharp drop, sharp drop off. But it does seem like that for for specific types of culture, like YouTube is a. I mean, a lot of people aren't making it, but like there, it does for certain types of culture, it's a somewhat more functional cultural system, at least one that's more adapted to the conditions under which it's being produced. And part of that, I would say, is that platform virality effect, right? It's that I'm a big YouTuber. I make a video. People are going to get pushed to my video who aren't currently subscribers or engaging with my content because of how the overall structure of the networks work. And in some way, like the very presupposition of a subscriber relationship, like undercuts that possibility because by definition there's stuff you can't get access to and it's not designed for that kind of that kind of flow and then in a in a system where each individual interaction is so incredibly demonetized and devalued you actually need like millions and millions and millions of interactions in order to to amount to money and so again like because of those lack of network effects you get this funny in between tweenness of of something like patreon where again like 
you know, a, a, a handful of stars get very heavily supported by their rabid fan bases, but there's not the kind of um, flowing in and flowing out of a YouTube, maybe. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why, like, I, it, it's frustrating. I mean, I'm critical of the model, and I think I was always kind of critical of Patreon, even if you go back and read my newsletter, I'm pretty sure I'm, like, very begrudged to be on Patreon even when I was on it. But it was probably just because I was like, this doesn't feel quite right. It This feels like something's kind of off here, even though I like the idea of me at that point making a newsletter. People pay me directly for it. You can also subscribe to the current newsletter via Ghost if you would like to. Um, but like I feel I felt like there was just something kind of a little bit a little bit sort of strange and off and off about that. And I think as we're sort of talking, the bigger this I think what it's sort of becoming a little bit clearer is that yeah, Patreon was created to try to replace something with you on, on the YouTube side. But as it was trying to sort of do that, it doesn't really make a ton of sense for how this sort of interacts with sort of like the more, I guess traditional sort of music industry and those kinds of forms that ha that had well, I guess not had existed, but still ex still existed today and still existed when Patreon was first coming around. It feels kind of like a weird side thing, and I feel like a lot of these and this is similar to Twitch as well, which similar in the pandemic, Twitch had a very brief moment where there were a number of musicians on Twitch, and there was like, oh, maybe people can become Twitch streamers, music musicians can be Twitch streamers, and it was like. No, I don't think most musicians want to be streaming for like eight hours a day. That's like an entirely different practice. That's just not being a musician in the same way. Yeah, and maybe just kind of to, as we start to wrap up, like thinking about a little bit more closely about the what this kind of overall, what this overall system moving forward can tell us about the music industry. Um, and yeah, again, thinking about this idea of super fans and these uh, the kind of... Um, you could say it's like the Taylor Swiftification of the music industry, right? This idea that you can just squeeze more and more and more out of like a large scale fan base. And, and, in, and to a certain extent, even maybe by pitting that fan base against itself, like drive up artificial scarcity on prices. Like it, if this kind of direct relationship doesn't seem to work, for music exactly well right that's the funny thing like at some level certain type of fandoms do work for music but it does seem like this direct relationship or this way of structuring direct relationships doesn't seem to work for music and there's like a funny gap in between them that, that i'm like i'm trying i'm trying to work through i guess yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I thought, so this is make sort of making a medium jump, but I've seen, watched a lot of recent YouTube videos about video games and mostly about people complaining about the modern state of video games, which is a constant complaint of gamers. But one of the things that I thought was super interesting about competitive games was basically someone started pointing out the fact that as games started having more battle passes and making it so you had to buy content basically every month or every other month to incentivize more play, it kind of made it so people would not want to play other games because all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't, I'm playing Fortnite and I'm now spending $20 a month on this game. I don't want to go play another game. That's also going to expect me to pay another $15 a month because I can't one. I don't have enough time to do that, but also that's now like $35 a month. That's 
oh, that's actually a decent amount of money all of a sudden I'm spending on these games. And I think there is something about the subscription model for music that also feels a little bit similar to me where all of a sudden it's like, if the Taylor Swift fan club costs me $10 a month to get access to whatever that is, I may do that for Taylor. But then if Beyonce comes out and it's like, that's another $10. And I'm like, okay, now we're $20. Then it's like another, and then it's like Blackpink wants it. And I'm like, Okay, well, like, I actually can't really do that in a way that, like, hey, there's a new CD coming out or a new single, I can go buy that, and that is, like, pretty, like, you're making a choice, obviously, as a consumer, when you go to the, you were making a choice going to the store where your money was going to go, but it wasn't so much of a financial commitment that it was going to preclude you from engaging with other things, and I think that's sort of the thing that I, I sort of struggle a little bit with, it's like, it seems that, like, the subscription models, like, starts sort of like confining you to a certain place, even though it is one that makes it a lot easier. I think both Sam and I would both say, if you're a creator or someone who wants to really think about the work you're doing, knowing that you're going to be getting that, that monthly income is much nicer than sort of like, oh, I don't know how much I'm going to get when we drop this new project. If we're going to sell 5,000 or 10,000, like you'd much rather have the consistent revenue than sort of the like inconsistency of sort of a new release or something. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I, I don't think I had quite thought about the ways in which, again, this like subscriber relationship does, it, there is kind of like a, like a competitive effect to it especially at the, like the higher levels of things right and, and and we know that like kind of my understanding sociologically with a lot of fandoms is like people are a fan of one thing and they don't tend to be like a fan a serious fan of like two things i mean at a high level fandom they're not even allowed i believe allowed to be fans of two members of the same group <laughs> though you're like allowed to have one and a cr- it gets the rules are very complicated <laughs> um it's they've been explained to me before but uh I, I don't fully fully grasp them, um, but you know it, yeah it's a very different way of thinking about cultural flows, and in some ways it's also a very different way to structure a culture industry because what it does in some ways is, is it makes it a little bit of a zero sum game potentially right like like your Barbenheimer example is really is really a good one right like may, sure maybe you could have like people are going to see both or you could imagine like a more like annoying version of it even where it's like you have to choose right are you voting barbie or are you voting oppenheimer but at some level the way and like the movie theaters are very good at this is like what they're trying to do is is, is locate cinema going as a a way of life right because they want to sell popcorn then at some level don't doesn't care what movie you go to sell popcorn to and people go to lots of different movies they don't only go to barbie over and over again um, and there's a question then, I guess, whether some of this, the subscriber model when blown up to the level of a fandom does kind of mean that instead of building out like a music going experience or a, a concert going experience or a music buying experience, like building out this broader set of social relationships and practices that surround a certain form of commoditized culture, what you get, if you think about like maybe the, the quintessential example of that is like the record store where it's like a whole suite of social relationships surrounding purchasing music. Instead, you've got a similar suite of social relationships around music in like a, a message board for, for a K-pop group. But it's not, I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong and I, I'm not particularly in these communities, but like it doesn't... um 
it doesn't seem to need to like uh like build in the same way i mean <laughs> i'm outing myself again um like the the only thing i've seen semi similarly is some of this in kind of like grateful dead dead and co land where there's clear like de- like <laughs> people are fans of one group or another at the same time there's like these like structures of concert going so they go to see a lot of different ones and that was also kind of structured in an interesting and different way than uh k-pop for instance in that there's like to a certain extent bts is like the biggest and blackpink are the biggest k-pop bands but they're like i think in in the k-pop universe maybe there's there's more competition where like in <laughs> to jam in jamville there's like there's hierarchies so it's like no one's like oh I'm a huge fan of like these bands, like the String Cheese Incident, and therefore like that I refuse to like the Grateful Dead because it's like there's a hierarchies, right? Like there's the biggest tent and there's smaller tents, mm. but like the biggest tents are also like the foundational bands of the scene in a certain way, and so like things it's struck it's structured somewhat differently. They're not as oppositional even though there is a similar kind of like sorting fandom maybe. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, yeah. So I think where I'll end is just sort of what you're sort of saying there. I think there, it actually makes a lot of sense to me. There isn't really a strong music, like individual musician subscriptions community. Like try to think of the music scenes you know of that are based around musicians be, being get, getting like a monthly subscription. I think they're obviously, and actually, honestly, listeners, if you have them, please send them our way. But I think that there are like certain one-off artists that do have that happen. But I don't think you can really build a scene in that kind of same way because, yeah, eventually you sort of have to – it does become zero-sum in a way very quickly. And if it becomes zero-sum in something where there isn't already a lot of money to be found, which is a lot of music scenes, unfortunately, then, yeah, I think that makes it even kind of harder to have like subscriptions if like – I guess I would think of it like this. If you have a subscription and the max that this community could generate is 10,000 subscribers and there's like $5 a month and it's 50K a month, you're like, oh, that can only go so many kind of ways where all of that money pulled together going to individual leases may or, or concert tickets may be able to actually diversify out a little bit more clearly or not more clearly but be a little bit more diversified in what it's able to support month over month or year over year versus like okay there's a finite number of people who can spend this much money recurringly every month when when you said when you were like if there's a model of this i'm like once again david we've reinvented record labels (laughs) right like (laughs) always 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 it's like an indie label, right? Like they have a sub pop put out the sub pop record club in like 1990. And every week, every month you would get X number of sub pop singles and they came to your house and it was different artists every time, but like the profits distributed. So once again, we've, we've reinvented <laughs> late eighties, early nineties, indie rock. Okay. So yeah, no, I mean, it's like, what are the other ones though? Because I do feel like my issue with Patreon is that like, it's, it's, I would like for it to make more sense, but I actually, it does feel very like, it does feel very zero sum. It does feel like something that if this were to extrapolate further and further, 
eventually, I, I, I say this as someone that had a lot of Patreons during the pandemic, and then have whittled that down to basically, like, one now. And I'm just like, oh, well, yeah, because I definitely didn't need to support these podcasts or whatever for, like, four years. That actually was, like, kind of an insane amount of time to support this project. Where if they were like, hey, we need $50 this year, I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll do it next year. But, like, keep that recurring payment, I just feel like, is, like, weighs really heavy on the pocket sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, another model is, like, the public radio model, right? Where you have a whole a suite of services and every once in a while they go, like, if you don't give us $50, we're taking them all back. You won't get you won't get anything <laughs> just like threatening to fold aggressively. Um, yeah. And I'm no, I think that's one. But I still I mean, honestly, it's unfortunate. But yeah, this is where like in many ways there's a reason why do a leap. Do a leap. Do you loopals? Do a leapas. That was a good one. Do a leapas. Most recent single is coming out as a fucking cassette and CD single. Because why not? You got to figure out a way to get some more money out of that. Sam is shaking his head, but like it's that's like a thing happening right now. It's like all I can already hear Saxon being like, so all of these hipsters were buying their cassettes and now Dua Lipa is dropping a single. And that's what's happening now, because what other forms do we got? What other forms do we got? I mean, thinking about the forms, like, the single, I feel like, gets us to this, like, particularly gruesome moment of, like, uh, you know, the, like, the new world, uh, the old world is still dying, the new world struggles to be born, um, which did bring me back to the point I wanted to ask you about, David, which is about, like, the very specific historical contingency of the Patreon boom, mm. right, which is mid-pandemic and and something i've been thinking about and i think it's gonna be really important for us to figure out as a uh as as critics and 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 close kind of watchers of of the music industry of the creative industries more generally and as you know and and, and as citizens of the multiverse is like to what extent was the the covid moment a total historical aberration to what extent was it like preview of coming attraction? And then as things get more and more digital, we're clearly seeing like some of those behaviors either not going away all the way or like moving towards them or like to what extent almost like with that weird experience of it, like shaping the way that things are going to evolve in the future, because it, it clearly it is both true. I would argue mm -hmm. that, the tech companies and the the macroeconomic froth, which is a whole other story, really. But, like, the massive expansion of tech companies and the massive amounts of financing they were able to get was a incredibly short-sighted, perhaps understandable, probably not, but incredibly short-sighted really, like, reaction to a very specific set of historical circumstances and that the world is going to get more and more and more online, that we have not yet come close to peak online which means that like actually maybe they couldn't support this level of like club quarantine was not the present but it might actually be a bigger chunk of the future than it looks like from 2024 or 2025 and so figuring out like yeah yeah and what 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 like did that specific set of contingencies like what light does it shed on 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 the development of something like patreon where like no 
we're not quite there yet. And yes, when we went back outside, everyone stopped subscribing to their parasocial relationships to their favorite podcasters. But like also, I sort of like if I had to bet on something, it would be on parasocial relationships to internet celebrities and not to outside. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point that I think we're right now in this sort of like we leaped ahead a number of years and it kind of makes sense we may be stepping back a little bit just because we just made such a massive step. And then also to go back to something like the metaverse and some of those projects, they were really poorly conceived, not super exciting. It was like the idea of us doing like i think it was mark zuck i think it was facebook that was very like this will be the future of work was us sort of having our 3d avatars give presentations in the metaverse which just didn't really make sense but 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 like the idea of work being more digitized and there being some form of that i think makes a lot of sense but it Again, in the pandemic moment, I don't think everyone was firing on their, was doing their best work in 2020 and 2021. <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me that some of the actual like initiatives and some of the projects and some of the work that was being done by these companies, even with billions of dollars behind them, wasn't maybe the quality we might expect in 15 to 20 years of like more normal research development processes and things going into this. I mean, I also feel like it's important to point out that, like, the biggest problem with the metaverse is the lack of feet. Um, if I've learned one thing about the internet, it's that it's very focused on feet. And so the idea of launching, like, just, yeah, no, you're right. No one was bringing their A game. Being able, launching, like, we're going to launch a major digital platform. And by the way, there's going to be no feet on it. It's just clearly, it's a marketing mistake. Um <laughs> You know, the people like the piggies, right? Like, that's 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 just the way of the world. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't, you can't be asking us to live our lives in a world where I can't see below my waist. That's a little, it's a little much. But yeah, no, I think, I, I, I think, I think time will tell to sort of understand how much the pandemic was sort of a future. But I guess in some ways, I sometimes imagine the pandemic is sometimes, or at least I hope it as sort of the, a bad parallel universe where it was like we were, I very much felt, and this is my own self-speaking, is that I felt in 2021 and early 2022, we were veering into some wild places with some of the projects and some of the like extreme crypto, NFT, some of that stuff. I was like, I really don't know where we're going, but I really, really don't like it. And it that implosion, I think, doesn't mean the end of all those ideas, but it definitely meant that the version that they were trying to produce back then was really thin. And once it sort of got, the basically, we saw that the emperor had no clothes pretty quickly, and it's now kind of the... For those people and people in these spaces, it's to figure out what is the thing where the, where we actually see the emperor and are like, oh, damn, he really does have a really nice robe today. Which is where I think we're going to end for today. Um, will Saxon and I uh, will be back uh, next week with a, a new episode in the standard format. Um, thanks so much for listening. Music by Bird Language. Check out David's, if you don't know, you should know. David's fantastic newsletter, Penny Fractions, um, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.